Welcome to Positive Bitch Lady, or as we like to say, Positive Power Lady. Listen in as your host, Sandy Joy Weston, takes on the hottest topics, explores how to deal with them in a positive, bold way, and highlights some amazing power ladies out in the world. This month, we wanted to share some exciting news about Sandy's other podcast, Let's Keep It Real. We are about to hit our 50th episode. Let's Keep It Real is all about hearing from amazing people from all around the world who are making a positive impact. Sandy and her guests discuss topics from all areas of life, and we know that you will leave feeling absolutely inspired. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Sandy's website, www.sandyjoyweston.com. If you haven't already, take a listen to one of the amazing episodes and share it with someone who you think would enjoy it. Well, today's awesome, inspiring podcast guest is Luna Jaffe. I'm so glad we had her on a while ago, and it's been way too long, so I can't wait to catch up with her because, you know, there's two things that we care a lot about, our body and our freaking money. And Luna is the owner and CEO of Luna. I want to make sure I got this right. Lunaria Financial, but she'll correct us. Lunaria Financial and the visionary behind the brick and mortar business called Sacred Money Studios and Prosperity Pie Shop, which I was lucky enough to go to over a year ago. And I loved it. I thought anybody that has freaking sacred money and pie at the same place, count me in. It was in Portland, Oregon, and I just stumbled upon it. She is the author of the award-winning book series, Wild Money, which I love, A Creative Journey to Financial Wisdom. I was always saying freedom, but wisdom, it's the same thing. And Luna is a certified financial planner, visual artist, and psychotherapist. Welcome, Luna. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to you again, Sandy. I know. So I think it's been a little over a year or maybe a year and a half. Time flies by, you know, but I feel as if it was just yesterday I came in to have a piece of pie and a cup of tea. And the next thing I know, I was learning all about my blockage with money. It was the craziest thing ever. So for anybody who hasn't listened to you the first time, let's just start in right there. Why pie and money? Or is it because you wanted to soothe people while you were talking to them about their money situation? Well, you know, I always say, you know, come and get a piece of the pie and it's literal and figurative, right? Oh, oh, okay. There you go. I also love to say that it sweetens the deal. So if you come in and take a budgeting class and you're not so excited about that idea, you know, you can either sweeten it by having pie first or you can reward yourself with pie at the end. So either way, you know, it's all good. You win. Yeah. And the pie's delicious. You know, I don't know where you make them there or not, but they're delicious. We do both. We have a, an off-site baker and we have uh, a lot of it that we do. We do all of our vegan and gluten-free pies on-site. And then we do, uh, we have a baker that's in her 70s. She's a grandma and she does our baking for the oh, pies, fruit pies. Just the way you want your pie, right? Exactly. All right. So we got that down. And now I know you're a financial planner and a visual artist, which if you see her book series, you can absolutely see how she took both her talents and combined them because I just love the artwork. But now you're throwing in there psychotherapist. When did that come in the deal? Well, so I was a, I spent a, over a decade as a visual artist. I was a silk painter. Um, I got out of college and went, you know, ooh, I don't really want to do what I got a degree in, which was bilingual education. And so I basically traveled the world and landed when I was in Boston, just fell in love with this hand-painted silk banner I saw, which I'd never seen it before. I'd never seen that art form. And I just went, oh, I see. I'm supposed to do that. And oh. was, uh, I had no idea how to do that. I was not a visual artist. I had been a dancer, but I'd never been a visual artist. And I walked in the door and I said, so tell me who did that? I need to learn how to do that. And the woman said, oh, well, here's the name of the woman who did it. And I actually called her and she taught me how to do it. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, maybe I should go to art school. And so I was like, okay, I'll apply to art school. Got into art school. And then, and then got, you know, six months into art school. I was like, why am I here? Like I can teach myself this stuff. And so I stopped going to art school because I already had a degree and I didn't need the degree. I think I, I went because I thought I needed the confidence. Yeah. I decided to teach myself. So I spent over a decade doing that. And then I was like, 
tired of, uh, I spent my life traveling up and down the, the West coast and selling my work. And, um, and then I just decided that, that a psychology degree would be a, a great way to deepen, uh, the work that I did when I teach. I, t- I taught a lot of creative process classes and yeah. kind of leads into how I teach people about money. So I was teaching people already creativity processes. And then I was like, well, maybe if I get this degree, it'll help me navigate deeper waters if people go into places that are are pretty psychologically deep and I, I didn't want to go to places I was not skilled to to manage so I did that I became a you know private practice psychotherapist which really wasn't my intention to begin with okay and then three or four years into it I was like I don't really like this it's very isolating and I'm not that introverted and I'm too much of a crazy idea generating entrepreneur to just sit around and listen to other people's problems all day long <laughs> so I was like okay then reinvent so I reinvented myself I actually got divorced and and reinvented myself in the same year and uh and went into the corporate world for a, about three years had a baby at 40 um which was my dream I got divorced in order to have a baby I mean some people do things a little ass backwards but you know hey I and then, I and then I got laid off and I was like what how do you get laid off like I'd never gotten laid off. I'd always been self-employed. So it yeah. was really like a shocker. And then I kind of went back to the drawing board and it's like, what do I really want to do? And what happened was that I just, I started working at UPS cause I had a baby. So I was at, you know, I was like working at UPS from 2am to 8am and uh, my job title, my job, what I gave myself as a job title was throwing packages. Cause that's truly what you do. Um, you throw packages <laughs> for seven hours. And, right. Uh, and I just really had to ask myself, like, what was it that I wanted to do? And I didn't know the answer to that question. But what I did know was what I wanted, which was I wanted to make over $100,000. I wanted my child to know what I did for a living. And I wanted to be located close to home so that he could be really a part of my life and my 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 work world. Um, yeah. So And so I just kind of put that prayer out there. And then my rule was that I had to ask myself, I mean, I had to say yes to whatever showed up. Um, I had to explore it. So if somebody said, Hey, you should check this out. or You should apply for this job or whatever. My, my answer to myself was you have to say, yes, you have to explore it. And so somebody just approached me and said, um, you know, I think you'd be a great financial advisor. And I just thought they must've just been smoking crack. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't balance my checkbook and I'm not good with money and I've never had an investment. And what do you, you know, really, what are you talking about? And she said, well, you know, the world of financial advising is not about necessarily at the beginning being brilliant with money it's about being able to really work with people and if you're good with people and you love to educate people you'll be really good at this job and I was like huh okay well (laughs) so I checked it out and you know came come come to find out the company was willing to train me completely and I didn't they actually liked people coming into the industry with no experience Wow. Um, and I gave myself the challenge. I was like, all right, well, if I can pass the series seven, if I can pass the insurance licensing exams, you know, and basically their theory was we'll give you a chance. You know, you have two months, we'll give you all the information and we'll, we'll, um, you know, pay for your testing. And if you pass that test, you still have a job. And I was like, all right. So, you know, I passed the test and I was like, huh, maybe I can do this. And then, uh, and then I just got, it was better than throwing, as you said. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I got out there, you know, and I just started doing what I had already been doing, which was teaching women about themselves and about, and then it just added money to it. And I I always felt like I was just like one step ahead of them. Like, I I don't know much, but maybe I know one more thing than you do. And, um, which was kind of terrifying, but at the same time I was like, well, at least I'm talking about it. And that's what was happening before these women, you know, had me in their lives. So I just built a business entirely on using my creativity, my kind of crazy ass ideas on how to build a business by um, just being very out of the box. I kind of combined things like finance and food and clothing and uh, money, money, um, talking about metaphors that women could relate to. And I built it from there. It's, I, you know, if you're, when you're taking it, you're like, yeah, someone said do this. Oh, yeah, Sam, th- th- it sounds it's like, yeah, that's what everyone would do. But you really took advantage of the opportunity. I mean, you seized the day and you went all in. Yeah, I did. And I also just, you know, I had so many people that were like, you're going to what? 
<laughs> yeah, of course. Luna, what are you talking about? You're crazy. This isn't you. You know, you're a therapist and you're, you know, you're a, a creative and you dance and all these things. Like, why would you be a financial, a financial yeah. And I'm like, okay, let me show you. Let me prove you wrong. And it was just kind of a challenge. And then I started loving how in the world of financial advising, especially at this particular company, there were, we had a dashboard and it really showed us like how many accounts we opened and how much money we um, brought in the door, how much I was managing. And it just started growing. And yeah. I was like, wow, like I'm managing $10 million. Like who knew that was possible? <laughs> and then That's of course, crazy. And then my income yeah. started really going up with it, of course. And then it was like, this is kind of fun. <laughs> so it just became more and more of a game um, that was like, I'm doing something I love. I'm helping people. And it's really fun. Yeah. So, okay. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you've taken a subject that for many people causes stress and agita, right? And figured out a way to make us feel, I can speak for myself, more relaxed. And that, yes, there is foundation and there are certain things and it's very educational, but let's enjoy the process. And so you added all this creativity to it. So like, even when I open your book, I mean, to me, money's like, I understand money. I've made sure, you know, I keep records and all that stuff, but I don't enjoy it. it uh-huh. You know, it's not my big motivator thing. And then I look at your book. I'm like, okay, well, this, this is not so bad. You know, oh, I can draw something here. But I think the drawing is a little tricky because they're getting you to get down to your deep rooted feelings about money. Correct. I mean, it's another way of saying this is what your belief is about money and how can we squash that belief? Well, I, I would say, let me say, frame it a little differently. What I would say is the reason why, the re- reason why I use imagery is because it's pre-verbal. And my, I wrote my master's thesis on a, a type of therapy called sampling therapy. And sampling oh. was developed by Coral Young, even though what he was doing was just playing in the sand. What he, I mean, he was literally playing in the sand by his beach house in Lake Geneva. And he said, you know, wow, what I realized is that as I'm playing in the sand with these, you know, he would bring in these little figurines, little soldiers and little whatever he could find and sticks and stones and pine cones and whatever. And he would be, he realized that it was a, a way of creating active imagination and that he was having the same experiences in the sand that he had when he was working with dreams. And so ah. that was this really, so when I was doing sand play therapy, people would come into my office and they would uh, go to my wall of thousands of miniatures and, and all kinds of different things from nature and crystals and whatever it was. And they just, you know, the instruction was just go to whatever you're drawn to and bring them over to the sand tray and just create, create basically a, a, an image in the, in the sand and they could use wet sand or dry sand. And you know, what was, I mean, it's super fun. You know, you just start building this thing and you're not thinking about it. You're just like, Oh, I want to get that monster and I want to get that princess and I want to, I'm doing all these things. And, and then you stand back and you're like, what, what is this telling me about what I'm feeling right now? Uh, Okay. Way. What happens when, if I were to say to you like, Oh, so, so, you know, tell me about your relationship with money. The first place you go, you know, the only place you can go to when I ask a question of your left brain really is the words that you attach to what you think your relationship with money looks like. But when I have you do it as a visual image, something completely different shows up because your unconscious has the tool, so to speak. The the unconscious has the the colored pencils in its hand and has a way to speak that doesn't have to label it with words until after it's created. And so when I say, uh-huh. you know, create your, your, a picture of your relationship with money and I guide people into that. Cause at first it's a little intimidating and people are like, ah, you know, I can only draw stick figures. And I'm like, don't worry. Stick figures are actually amazing. Uh, and very, um, they can tell us so much uh, because a stick figure can be any size proportions. Some people will do stick figures without hands or legs or a head um, and all those things give us information. And as somebody goes through my process where they're drawing images of how they feel right now in their relationship with receiving money or spending money or investing money, and then I have them create an image about 
what they want it to look like. So now that they know where they are, I always say it's like a GPS. It's like you do a pin drop and you say, I'm here. Mm -hmm. And then you say, and I want to go there. You know, I want to climb Mount Everest. Okay. Well, so now that we kind of know what that looks like and we can see it and we can see what it feels like, um, the feeling is what will drive you towards the, the goal. It's not the goal itself. It's not Mount Everest. It's, it's, I would feel so accomplished and successful and strong and courageous if I climbed Mount Everest. That's what we're going for. We're going for the feeling side of it. And then we chart a path to help you get there where money sort of becomes the backpack or the, the, the Sherpa, you know, it's like, it's a piece of the process, but it's just a way to help you along the path. It's, uh, it's grease for the wheels. It makes things easier. And along the path, again, you know, like we may want to go to climb Mount Everest, but if halfway to that destination, as we're preparing, we break our ankle, you know, we might not climb Mount Everest. But that doesn't mean that the goal wasn't helpful. And it doesn't mean that redirecting it isn't exactly what you needed to do. You probably got a hell of a lot farther aiming for Mount Everest. So you you might have um, made it a lot farther just trying to aim for there. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a super important thing to realize, especially when it comes to money. And so some of the times what we're doing is we are aiming for um, getting clarity about, wow, what would it feel like? I ask people when they first start financial planning with me, where do you want to be in a year? If this was the best money and the best time you ever spent, where, what would you feel like? And a lot of times the words are confident and organized and I would feel like I really understand where my money is and what it's doing. Yeah. Plan in place and, and that having a plan in place would create calm. So again, I'm using those feelings to help guide like halfway through the process. I'm so I'm like, are we getting closer? Are you feeling calmer? Are you feeling more organized? Are you having more confidence? And, you know, if we're, you know, if the answer is no to any of those questions, then we're like, okay, then we're not doing something right. We're not heading in the right direction. I would never, ever, like when I was thinking of those drawings, I love the way you said it differently, that it's pre-verbal. And I get how people say, well, I'm not an artist and I can just use, you know, you can just use stick figures. But I never thought of it like you said, that those pictures are going to describe things that you can never put in words. Like, I, I don't even know, like my brain just didn't go there, but it makes sense to me now. Yeah. And what happens is a lot of the under, so one of the things I've really learned, I've been in the business now for 17 years. And one of the things that I really see happening is we carry ancestral financial belief systems. And drawings will start to show that drawings will get us in touch with, you know, this feeling of shame or guilt or um, resentment around money. And we, you know, when we start to explore it, people are like, that's not mine. Like, it's not mine. It's my mother's. I don't really believe that way. Is that what you're saying? No, it's not about belief. It's, it's that it's not yours. In other words, you inherited that belief. And okay. Okay. So, so let's say, for example, you have a, a grandparent who fled the war in Germany and lived on nothing and, yeah. uh, and came to America and worked their booty off and they, they, you know, and they made a lot of money and there's a whole bunch of like, they came from poverty, they made money and, and that first generation of wealth creates a, a mindset of hard work gets me somewhere. The second generation tends to have a very different perspective because their perspective is I didn't have to work for this money. I just kind of got a pretty easy ride and I'm pretty screwed up because of that in a sense. Like I don't have the same self-esteem that the person who made the money has my grandfather or my, you know, yeah. my grandmother who, who was a wise investor. So the second generation can feel so messed up because they don't know how to find purpose. Now, if that's your mother, if your mother is the second generation from a wealthier family or even a middle-class family and is carrying the shame of, you know, I have wealth, but I didn't make it. I don't know how to find my purpose. I'm just going along. 
And then there's all kinds of other things that come along with that addictions and um, bad relationships or whatever. And the child born into that family is absorbing that person's experience and that they don't have to say anything for you to really inherit, so to speak, their belief systems around money and love and, um, versus scarcity, all those things. And so then as we're starting to sort out, like, who am I in relationship to money? Part of what we have to sort out is like, what's mine and what's not. And if it's not mine, I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, all I have to really do with that is, is really name it as not mine. Like I'm going to cut myself off from that belief system because it's not mine. It's not my work. I have other work, (laughs) but that's not, that was my mother's work or my grandfather's work or whoever. And uh, that's important. That shows up in these drawings. And and it also shows up things that are just really weighing people down that they didn't realize. Like they didn't realize that getting money each year from their grandmother was coming with a whole lot more strings than they realized. Yeah, I would never think of that. Or expectations. And so when you start to draw, one of the things I always tell people is like one of your processes when you draw is – Start with just a single image, just a, you know, like my, my relationship with money is kind of like a balloon. Like I'm always trying to grab for it, but it's always slightly out of my reach. Like, so that's, that's the beginning of your drawing. It's like a hand reaching for a balloon that's not quite in their hand. But then if you keep asking yourself, like, what else needs to be in this picture? And you, you learn over doing all these drawings over time. You yeah. learn how to trust yourself. So, and that's an important skill when it comes to money is trusting yourself. And so what happens is that if, if you go like the, a bird needs to be in this picture, instead of judging yourself and going, why? I don't know why. You know, it's just like, I don't care why the bird needs to be there. Just trust that the bird needs to be there. <laughs> I got and, then, and then the thing that's happening is your brain is, is deciding what kind of bird, what color the bird is, how big the bird is, where the bird is. There's all these decisions that are being made unconsciously. And the bird goes on the page. And then when we start to look at it and you start to write about what this image is, there's this light bulb moment of like, holy crap, that bird is my father or whatever. You know, it's it's something significant that they wouldn't have had access to without doing the drawings. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the magic. It's magical when people start to discover who they are at the deepest core. So, Luna, do you think... Like, I know you teach courses there, right? And you have workshops. Mm-hmm. If someone purchased their book, would they be able to go through it themselves or would they also need support? You know, it's, it's like any book, I would say. There are people that have bought my book and done it all, have worked through the entire book on their own. Yeah. As true with most processes, there aren't too many people that can do that. Yeah. Um, but it, all the tools are there. The book is completely self-sufficient in that way. Yeah. Um, but but there's also something that can go a lot deeper when you have either one-on-one coaching or a group that helps you to dig into it with, with more um, external questioning. So if I'm coming up and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, that's an insightful drawing. And then I start asking another couple things or my observations. I teach people when, when I'm in classes, I teach people how to learn to be observers rather than judgers of the drawings that you or your classmates are creating. And by being that witness, you're being a witness to the drawing rather than a good drawing or it's a bad drawing or it's a, you know, I think I know what that drawing means. It's like, no, why don't you leave all that stuff out? And let's just look at the drawing. Like, wow, there's a lot of blue in this, in this drawing and all the people in the drawing don't have any faces. Um, there's no money here. You know, it's, it's full of, uh, it's full of a darkness that, you know, I see there's something, there's something going on here. Cause it's like half black on the page or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of my process is you do the drawing and then I have some questions that you write about and I'm teaching people how to be noticing what happens in the drawing rather than trying to put a judgment on the drawing. Because again, it's a drawing and we have, we go to that place of like, oh, it's not a good drawing. It's like, who cares? Yeah. 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 It's not yeah. good or bad. It's just, is it giving you information and, and what is it helping you to learn about yourself? Some people, for example, the first couple of drawings, they barely can make a mark on the page. Like you can't even see it. Yeah. And, and then as they go, they get a little bolder and a little bolder. Their colors get brighter. 
they're willing to make a mark that actually shows up. And, and when we do at the end of the process, there's a retrospective. So you go back and you compile all the drawings that you did on one page and, and people are stunned. They're like, I started out in black and white and I was never in the picture in the first couple drawings. And then gradually, like I start showing up and money starts showing up and color is there and, I'm more hopeful and suddenly the sunshine is showing up and there's a rainbow over here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And because, so, I mean, so to answer your question, the, the, the benefit of having, you know, somebody guide you is that sometimes they can see those, that progress that, and you can't see it yourself. Yeah, I agree. I agree. A lot of people, that's why we, that's why we hire coaches and therapists and, teachers is because, you know, there's some additional help that can happen when you have a person to talk it out to. So I think in general, especially people that are extroverted, um, this process works better in a class or one-on-one because they have somebody to talk with. They're not, you know, I'm not such an, I'm not really an internal processor myself. I, I benefit from being able to talk it out. And so, and then in the classes, what's amazing is just how much people learn from each other. Um, there's so much sharing and, and depth and people are like, wow, I never thought of that. I never even considered that idea. And there's new kinds of ways of working with every piece of what we're doing in the class and people yeah. just learn and they grow and they, and that to me is, I mean, if I I know, that must be so rewarding. Now, do you do men and women or is it just women? Oh, I do men and women for sure. I do a lot of couples. Actually, one of my favorite things in my financial planning process is I, I work with a lot of couples because I'm a trained couples therapist and I love couples. I've, I've pretty much always been a couple in my, my own life. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I, so I've, I've got a lot of experience with how to do money in partnership and, and how to have these really more deep conversations. So people that, you know, are wanting to deepen or explore, it's not, you know, the process is often, you know, if you're, you're in a super huge crisis around money, um, you know, financial therapy is going to be a better fit than, than what I do. But if you're in a place where it's like, you know, we're, we're doing okay. Our, our relationship is pretty good. Or yeah. It's great. And, and yet we really want to um, become more connected, more aligned around our values and goals. We want to learn how to go deeper with money. There's places in our relationship with money that are just challenging, but we're pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, then it's, it's so powerful. And I, that part I love, love, love to do because I see the light bulb go off and there's a lot of, you know, when people see each other's drawings, it's like they're learning about their loved one in a whole new way and gaining what, what I see happen the most is that they're just gaining a ton of empathy. Like, Oh, that's what it looks like inside of you. Holy moly. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, I just thought you were uptight about money. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and then you can, yeah. see, you can even refer to the drawing sometimes and say, Oh, right. That's well, that's that, that monster on the dining room table. Yeah. How can we talk to that little critter, you know? <laughs> and, and, and you it, never knew. Like you, you wouldn't know, like, you know, cause you don't talk about that with your partner. You're not going to see me. You don't. <laughs> Most people don't anyway, unless you're an art therapist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's back up. Did you say if someone has more of a financial problem, they should go to a financial therapist? Did you say? I said that if if you're in like if you're in a really um, like a lot of couples or individuals, they hit they hit that really like super deep rocky place with money. And, and sometimes the issue is mental health related. And sometimes the issue is, is financially related. And sometimes it's both. Okay. <laughs> um, or okay. maybe it's both, right? So, you know, if you're dealing with, um, there is a whole new field of financial therapy that, you know, and I do financial therapy, but I'm not like, I don't do it exclusively. I do it as part of financial planning. Gotcha. Um, but I, but people don't come to me and just pay me to be their financial therapist where they come every week. Um, and that's mostly because I don't think they should be paying what I charge for, um, for therapy when therapy is typically half the price. So <laughs> there's, gotcha. that. um, but financial therapy is, is important to know about because it's really helping people who are dealing with say severe anxiety or depression or, uh, bipolar disorder 
it's learning. It's, it's working with somebody who understands the psychological components of how they relate to money. So if you're bipolar and you're dealing with manic episodes of, of spending, it really helps to work with a financially oriented therapist who has a lot more skill set around the financial side on top of the psychological side. So it, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a growing field. Yeah. I never heard of it. That's why I wanted to make sure I didn't want to say, I, I thought you didn't say financial advisor. I thought you said financial therapist Yeah, and I wasn't even aware that existed. Right. And then there's money coaches and money coaches are, are really helpful when you're, when you're really just trying to work on setting goals and how do I set up a budget and, and financial, there's a difference. I mean, money coaches aren't trained therapists and they're not financial advisors, but they're trained in, in coaching tools. So they're trained in helping hold you accountable to the things you say you want to do. And, um, and there's a lot of value in that too. It just depends. I, I actually wrote a, uh, people can get this on my website. I wrote a, a little, it's kind of a mini ebook on how to choose a financial professional. And one of the pieces in that booklet is, you know, what are you looking for and which of the professionals out there would be the right one if that's what you're looking for. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So it's called the Z guide to finding a financial professional and it's, it's available on my website so people can just sign up for it. Yeah. You know what? I really like that because it's the same thing as finding, like you were talking about a coach, like, is it a therapist? Is it a coach? Is it a mentor? Is it a life coach? Is it a psychiatrist, psychologist? Like there's a million different ways to go about it. And it's very confusing. And the same thing with money, because I know it's confusing to me. Like, well, what, what do I need? Who should I go to? Where should I go for advice? Like for what I need specifically. So I think this would be way cool. I love it. Yeah. So question for you. If anyone who comes to your classes or anyone that comes to your courses or workshops do you always start with the drawing first or is it different each time? Hmm, it depends on what I'm doing. I mean, I start with a self-assessment pretty much most, um, almost every, every person I work with, we start with um, a self-assessment. So we look at how much do you know about money and how much do you practice or what do you practice around money? Cause a lot of times, you know, we know things that we don't practice. We practice things that we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Again, back to my metaphor of a GPS, part of that self-assessment is, where am I? Like, where am I in my knowledge base? Where am I in my financial skills? And, and, and we measure that so that at the end of the process, when we remeasure, we can gauge how much we've grown. I, I mean, this was a thing that I realized early on in my career was part of the issue around money is, one, we have a crappy process. We, I mean, if we get taught anything... Uh, we're lucky because yeah. most weren't taught anything. And then we bumble along trying to just do the things we think we're supposed to do around money. And we don't have any, any idea whether we're doing it right, whether we are making good decisions and women in particular doubt themselves all the time around it. Yep. So one of the things I wanted to set up for me, it was very clear, like part of what I want people to have is this reflection of where they're strong and where they still have challenges. And so throughout the process, I'm teaching people financial terminology and I'm using illustrations to make that much more approachable because when you have more language um, and you speak the language of the financial world, you're going to make better decisions. You're going to feel like you can ask questions when you have them and you're going to basically have just a lot more confidence. So yeah, so that's, that's a whole piece of what I'm working with. So the first stage of whether somebody's working with me one-on-one -on -one or they're coming to a class or a workshop is we do a self-assessment and we do a first drawing. And that gives us a read on, on kind of where's the starting point. And gotcha. it's amazing to look at both of those things at the end of the process and just to see kind of where, where people are after all the work. So I think I know the answer to this, but before we wrap up, Luda, whenever I'm having a guest on, I ask my listeners and my clientele for three questions that they want to ask you. And they're usually pretty general, but maybe you can steer them in the right direction. But I think I kind of, you already answered this one, but here's number one for um, this young lady. She has two children and newly getting divorced and had no clue 
about the financial situation. She's very overwhelmed. Like, okay. Oh my, like, I'm sure you understand this. Uh You know, my husband always took care of the money and now here I am and I have no clue. Where would they go first? Good question. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. So I do a lot of work with people that are divorcing because I, you know, and and at different stages. So some people come, wow, I'm just considering this. I don't know where to start. And other people are in the middle of it. And then others are like, I just got divorced. I have a settlement. Now what? I'm paralyzed. I think the most important thing when you're first considering divorce is getting some, you know, work, either it's working with a really good attorney, if if it's big enough, if I mean, in other words, if there's enough at stake, um, and, and there's the resources to pay for an attorney, it's certainly helpful to have somebody who can uh, help you evaluate all the different financial pieces, and even to know how to kind of do forensics around looking for assets. Uh, there's a lot of people that hide, hide money. And so, you know, it's looking for that and being smart about it. I don't mean to interrupt you, but one of my anonymous friends that just happened, she was just recently separated, knew things were wrong. The husband was always saying they don't have money for that, don't have money for that, don't have money for that. And she found that out because she trusted them, never looked at the tax. Oh, you don't need to sign the tax returns. I'll do it. I'll do it. And she's a very trusting person. She made her own money. But he was like, no, we don't have the money for that. We don't have the money for that. And finally something, she's like, no, no, I want to, I want to sign the tax returns. And she found out that he was making a half a million a year. So that to me is not struggling, Luna. Holy moly. And she flipped at, like, she's thinking all this time, they don't have money for this, they don't have money for this, they don't have money for this, they don't have money for this. And never even thought twice, oh yeah, I took care of the taxes. Like really didn't even think. Uh, and she, she has no clue what made her go. Yeah, I want to sign the tax returns. Is that crazy? Yeah, that is crazy. And and the weird thing is, you know, it's not that uncommon. And I mean, just like there's also, I mean, that that one's a little strange because that's that means that your incomes are sort of completely unknown to each other. But the one that I see is people that just have bank accounts or side accounts or things that they just got that the other person doesn't know about credit yeah. cards, debt. You know, all yeah. kinds of stuff. And when you marry somebody, you know, one thing I always tell people is like, if you're not completely willing to get everything out there on the table, debts and assets, um, your relationship's going to be problematic because you're, there's things yeah. you're not doing each other, right? I mean, yeah. how much do you trust this person? And why would you marry somebody if you don't trust them? Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I get that people have different spending habits and different ways of how much you should save. And, but at least you should at least agree upon it and accept it, you know, because you're right. If you don't trust the person, that's just a bad way to start a marriage. It's a bad way. Yeah. I mean, it's already, it's already difficult enough. You don't want to have to add that to the pie, you know? You know, so to answer this woman's question, I would say that the, you know, this is a place where a financial coach, I mean, or a money coach could be helpful. Um, a financial advisor might be helpful, depends, or uh, or somebody more planning oriented. Like I, I mean, I'm a financial planner. I mean, you know, I manage money, but but my um, I have a separate fee structure for just financial planning, and so people that are going through divorces typically don't have access to their to their assets yet. So we do financial planning. Um, and they can pay for that separately so that it's just, they get access to really good information and, and planning before and during this divorcing process. Um, the other thing that the other resource, and I'm not sure, you know, what part of the country this person's in, but, um, the whole collaborative divorce model, if, if it's an, you know, if it's a relatively amicable situation, looking into collaborative divorce resources is a good way to, um, find people that have, the expertise around doing the yeah. evaluation of an estate and not a state, but of a, of each person's assets and figuring out what's the appropriate way to propose the separation and divorce occurs. So, yeah, uh, it's not easy. You're right. And, and sometimes there, it's not, <laughs> it's not always ease and flow. You know what I mean? It's not like they're not just partying, you know, right. in a loving way and, and anger and it's just a lot yeah. of really hard stuff and then when you have little kiddos involved 
Yeah. It's even so much harder because you're trying to navigate parenthood and your child's experience. And that's just a lot. Yeah. I know. All right. Number two. Okay. How do you know, how much money do you have to have saved before? This is a big question. How much money do you have to have saved before you invest in the market? <laughs> that's, well, that's a, I laugh because that's not a question that has an answer. Um, <laughs> I, I, I even knew that, but I had to ask. But everything's relative. So for example, there's a couple really cool websites that I'm going to just share with people. And you could have $25 a month, you could start investing in the market. Okay. Um, and remember that sometimes when you're putting money in the market, you're starting to invest, that's still money that's available to you if you have a crisis or yeah, something yeah. happens. Right? It's not like it's going away. It is if you invest in a Roth IRA, which um, gives you some tax advantages if you keep it in there until you're 59 and a half. But if you don't keep it in there until you're 59 and a half, you still have access to the money that you originally convert, con, contributed. So if I put $5,000 into Roth IRA and it grew to $10,000, I can still take out $5,000 because that was my original investment anytime without penalty or taxes. So the account type um, matters. But my answer to that question is you first have to determine what amount of savings is good for your situation. So one, you know, a single person who rents, and doesn't have a car and doesn't have any kids and doesn't have any pets. Um, in other words, there's a lot less that can go wrong. Um, less savings than someone who has three kids and three dogs and a spouse and a house and two cars. I mean, that, that person needs more money because there's more things that can go wrong. Gotcha. And that um, That's a really great place to determine, like, what's my goal? If my goal's five or $10,000 in savings. But that doesn't mean to me, that doesn't mean I should also not be investing. And so the, the couple of websites I want to recommend to people is there's a, a website called New Day Impact. Okay. It's a wonderful way to invest in impact. It's impact investing. So it's focused on, I want to, I want to invest in um, cleaning up the oceans. I want to invest in, I want to invest in sustainable agriculture. And what I love about these portfolios is that they do a beautiful job of explaining what it is you're investing in and what difference you're making as a result. And then they also keep you educated about the, you know, animal cruelty is one. There's one about animal welfare. So if people are really super into being vegans and supporting um, companies that are doing positive things in the world of supporting and uh, promoting animal welfare, you can do that with your money. You can invest in these things. And this new day is a play is, is a, an, it's a, a website company that is designed for the individual investor. And they're really happy to have you invest $25 a month or $50 a month. And, you know, the truth of the matter is the more you automate anything, savings, paying your bills, investing, automation is the key to success because when you automate it, you don't have to think about it and it just happens. And that's why people who work in corporate jobs, amass a lot more money than people that are self-employed uh, because they have structures in place. They have stock plans. They have 401ks. They have medical insurance. That gets, everything gets pulled out of their paycheck. And when they get their paycheck, they're done. Their taxes are paid. Their insurance is paid. Their investments are done. And they know that that's the amount that they can live on. Self-employed people think, you know, hey, I just got $5,000. That's great. I got $5,000. It's like, no, you don't have $5,000. You have $5,000 minus 50%, which is your taxes, your you know future investments, your savings, all those other things you need to do as a business owner. Yeah. And people just don't get that yet, or many people don't. So, yeah. So New Day is a great one. There's another one called Swell Investing, which is also impact investing oriented. Oh, cool. Uh, and then there's a website that's called Robinhood. And Robinhood allows you to invest in individual stocks, um, cryptocurrencies, mutual funds, exchange traded funds, all kinds of things. And that's another really easy place to just get involved and start experiencing it yourself. Like, Oh, I, I know about this new company out there. Like I get, a, I live in Oregon. So a lot of people are like, how do I invest in cannabis? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and there are a few individual companies out there that are 
that are providing resources to the cannabis industry. And, and they can invest in that. They can like, I want to try this one out. And you can do that without taking too much risk. You know, you can just say, I'm going to just do $25 a month. And I love that. And I've never heard of any of these sites ever. And there's so many more, you know, like another one of my favorite, uh, another one of my favorite websites just for your entrepreneurial clients is called track.tax. And it's a website that, um, is designed for contractors or people that get 1099 income. Um, and it, it basically, you set it up so that when you get paid, it automatically pulls out what you need to save for taxes. Love and it. I know. And so it just makes it so that you're, it's kind of like you're, you start operating a little bit more like you're, you're getting a W2 yeah. wage because you don't have to worry that you don't have the money set aside for your quarterlies because it's doing it for you. And it's great. <laughs> uh, no, I love that. I'm writing that down for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's so many cool there's so many cool apps out there that are just you know it's kind of an exploding world right now. The world of financial technology companies. Yeah, yeah and it's funny because I never thought like you're saying oh, like they do good in the world and you know that and you can invest in them. I mean, how is it I didn't know about these places? I never even heard of New Day Impact. Yeah, it's pretty new. It's based in San Francisco. I actually just went to their headquarters and was chatting with them. And I, you know, they're doing a beautiful job. They're just doing a great job. Um, so, yeah, there's some really good things happening. And that's really oriented, like I said, towards the individual investor. The yeah. world of socially screened investments, it's been around for 30 years. I mean, we've been doing it for 30 years. But this, these two companies, Swell and New Day, their approach is make it really accessible and app-based so that millennials are going to be more likely to invest. And getting younger people engaged yeah. in here because right now the millennials are screwed um, because they're not working for big corporations. Many of them they're it's a gig economy. Yeah. There's many more contractors than there ever were. And their idea that they need to save, they don't have that built in concept of like, I need to save. It's not yeah. there. And so it. it's not there very much. Um, I shouldn't say anything. You know, yeah, I get it. I get there it. Are people that are interested, but. No, I love it. All right. Before we wrap up, my third question is, um, if I have your book, how I'm on the East Coast, how can I get support? Because like, you know, what you were saying, you know, that you hold workshops there. So if they buy your book and they live in Connecticut, how would they get support? You bring me to Connecticut and I'll teach you and all your friends. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I love doing that. Um, I have family. I'm from the East Coast, so I have family on the East Coast. Where in the, so I'm from Philadelphia. Well, my family's on Philly also. And <laughs> That's right. I forgot that. That's right. right. I mean, I grew up in Delaware, uh, but my grandparents were and my parents were all from Philly. Um, and then my brother lives in Western Mass, so I love to go to – I love to be there. So that's one answer. One answer is you can work with me uh, by bringing me to your, um, to your group. I love to just come and have ready-made groups and love to teach workshops for – people wherever they are. Uh, the other option is I work with people virtually. So oh, you do, yep, I work with people all over the world. So, you know, I, you can go through my, um, either just the wild money process or you can go through financial planning, which involves the, the wild money process. So my financial planning process is budgeting, uh, wild money and all the pieces of financial planning that help you to understand whether you're on the right track, how to allocate your investments correctly, according to your risk tolerance, looking at um, tax planning, estate planning, all those good things. Um, and then we just create, we create a map and then we start trucking down the, down the path. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I love those options too. Like I didn't realize you did virtual stuff. So that's really cool. I do. I do. And my website, which is lunajapi.com is the best way to find me. financial. So both of those. All right, Luna, before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to get in? Ooh. Um, you know, I guess I just want to say don't be afraid to start somewhere because, you know, the thing that is going to be most uh, impactful in anyone's life is ignoring their money and ignoring that they that there's a value in paying attention to it nobody's going to come along and make it better. And I actually just watched um, a documentary about Bernie Madoff and it was just like so incredible to 
think about how many people were just blindly trusting this guy. Yeah. Sons, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's horrifying to watch in that sense of, you know, it's one of the things I applaud is the women that are in my practice that ask really smart questions. Um, and, and even those are the, the, to me, the smart questions are the ones that they think are dumb. It's like, there is no dumb question. There's only the questions you didn't ask. And if you're working with any kind of professional who makes you feel like your questions aren't valid, then change professionals. <laughs> Don't be afraid. You know, a lot of people feel like they have to stick with the same advisor um, because their parents were with them or because that's who the family uses or that's who my husband uses or whatever. No, find an amazing woman to work with. If you're a woman, find an amazing woman that listens and that you trust and isn't afraid to take your questions. And you can even say like, what other questions should I be asking you? Like, I don't even know what questions I need to ask. Yeah. Right? I love that. You're right. Cause I do think a lot of people, like my girlfriend just said to me, She's like, I feel embarrassed that I waited this long. I'm like, listen, it's better late than never. It's never too well, late. Well, that's the truth. And, and, you know, I have people that come into my practice and they're 70. And, and there's still things you can do. You know, there's still better yeah. choices to make. Even if up to this point you weren't making some super smart choices, that doesn't mean that you can't make them now and that you can't have an impact on your life Absolutely. now. Absolutely. I agree. So that's kind of my words of wisdom. Good point. Well, Luna, it's been a pleasure again. I really, really appreciate it. When I get back out to visit my girlfriend in Portland, I promise I'm going to come by and visit you and I'll let you know I'm there. And I'm excited because I can't wait to come back to Portland. I love it there. I absolutely love it there. It's a wonderful place. Yeah. And the people were so great this week. And this has been very informative. So I know all my positive women out there are going to really enjoy it. Don't forget to look her up. Don't forget to get the book. I promise you, everyone will be excited and happy. And everyone can learn something about money. Everyone. And if I can just say one last thing, it would be, and I'll just say this about any author out there. If you buy a book from an author directly, it's it's a really good way to support them. And if you buy it through Amazon, just as a case in point, um, I self-published my book. I get paid 25 cents when a book sells through Amazon. I did not know that. Yeah. And so if I sell it through my own website, I actually make half the cost of it. So there's just a, a way that we can start supporting each other as women by supporting direct purchasing of things that we've created. Woo! Good point, Luna. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So go to the website and get the book. Yeah. So much of the time we just don't realize the impact of uh, how much of the profit that Amazon No. Who would even think that? That's so drastic of a difference. It's drastic. (laughs) That's great. Well, thanks for that little tidbit. I love that. All right, Luna. Well, have a great weekend, and I'm sure we'll be chatting soon. And all my positive bitch ladies, until next time, stay powerful and toodles. Thanks for listening. Remember to like, share, and subscribe if you enjoyed. And remember, stay powerful.